I think that with the Stranger Things working so heavily, kids felt like that movie was for them, except on steroids. Why is fear or horror such a noxious media for people to have their brands associated with? I saw something. A clown. Yeah, I saw him too. Can a frightening experience lead to a happy customer? What role can fear play in marketing and brand building? That's where we're going with guests Leah Dunn and Matt Kaplan this week. Hi, I'm Molly Schreiber. And I'm Larry Vincent, and this is The Findings Report. You know... According to recent estimates, horror movies grossed about a billion dollars at the U.S. box office this year. Casual. Casual. Yeah. And the big winner, you know, was the remake of the Stephen King classic, It. The the highest grossing horror film of all time now. It beats The Exorcist, The Shining, a whole lot of Freddy and Jason movies. Yeah. Yeah. Because clowns are terrible and they should be banned. I've always hated clowns. Yeah, they're awful. That scene in Poltergeist, it just, it traumatized me as a child. Yeah, I can't watch horror films at all because they all give me terrible, vivid nightmares. Clowns? Uh, more like murderers and psychos and zombies, and they're all chasing me. It's always like chasing running dreams. <laughs> Did you ever like them? Yeah, actually, when I was like 12 and younger, I really liked horror films, and it didn't affect me, and I think it's just gotten real to me now, and they've all gotten so much more extreme. They have, and and I don't necessarily like the extreme ones, but horror movies... They're not exactly a new thing. They've been around since the beginning of movies. Uh, Nosferatu, this, this vampire epic that was a silent era creeper. It still shows up. We see it in MTV clips all the time. But horror movies don't get a lot of love from marketers. Yeah, I would imagine it's a turnoff. Like, I'm not going to buy your bounty paper towels that are the product placement in your torture porn horror flick mopping up the blood, right? Interesting scenario. No, yeah, I think that's fair. You know, because death doesn't sell. Laughs, those are tried and true. Screams, not so much. Except there's a billion reasons to believe that people will pay for a good fright. And if you're a marketer, the kind of folks that are paying for fear are the ones that we typically tend to go after the most. I think it's something to 60-70% of these films are young females between the age of, you know, 13 and 24. So I want to introduce you to our first guest. I'm Matt Kaplan. Uh, I currently run Ace Entertainment, uh, which is a production company that does film, television, and branded content. Matt's a veteran producer. His specialty is films that resonate with younger audiences. He makes a lot of comedies, but he also makes scary movies because... I think the fun part to horror in general is now it's become one of the only experiences you can uh, have as a wide-release audience and enjoy kind of that feeling in a theater of being scared. And I think... Horror is one thing that you actually do want to do as a group uh, and experience in theater, which is so different from, uh, call it an indie drama, that you may be able to watch on a 70-inch flat screen at home. All right, so he thinks that horror movies might give audiences more of a reason to go to a movie theater than other kinds of films. Yeah, I think there's there's this fun experience that, you know, within every 10 to 15 minutes, you're sitting there on the edge of your seat, you know, white-knuckling your chair and getting ready for that that jump scare experience, I think, is re- as a community, is really fun. So what I think is interesting here about what Matt's raising is that horror movies are indeed one of the rare genres of cinema in which people actually prefer going as a group. They say they have more fun when they go with friends. 
And it's a phenomenon that we see in other forms of entertainment and consumer behavior. It's why people don't usually go to an amusement park to ride a roller coaster by themselves. They want to do it with others. Or if you think about it, really extreme examples, think about like chili pepper contests, you know, where you see who can eat the hottest chili pepper. Again, that's something that you do with friends. And each of these examples is a way of talking about creating safe ways for us to play with our fear. And I think we prefer to play with our fear in numbers, preferably with friends. Okay, so I'm learning something. I think I've been doing horror films completely wrong because I used to watch them at home alone right before bed. And then obviously uh, someone is under the bed and they're going to kill me or kidnap me or eat my brains or something. So You're doing it wrong. Right. <laughs> yeah. yeah, you need to get into a theater, hear everyone else scream at the same time. And then there's that immediate laughter right afterwards. That's the fun. But when I think about some of these movies, they're so graphic. And when I think about what's going on in the real world, some of these films hit a little too close to home. Yes, I don't personally care for the films that dwell on people suffering gratuitously. I mean, I asked Matt about this. He believes horror films hold up a mirror to the world. You know, it's a distorted mirror, but it's a reflection that actually helps us cope. There seems to be a zeitgeistiness to what is really happening underneath uh, the horror. So, so using social commentary within it and talk about something much larger. I think Get Out obviously struck a chord in a real way. I think The Purge, when that came out, um, Sandy Hook had just happened. And I think people were really having debates on gun control, um, as we still are, sadly. I think the marketers around The Purge, I remember at that time, were having conversations on, are we okay to release this movie? And in the end, they went for it. And I think it really struck a chord. That sounds like pretty risky marketing. I think it can be risky. But not all horror films are created equal. In doing interviews for this show, our guests and others, they, took, they kept pointing out to films like Saw. Yes, yes, yes. Saw, I did see. I was actually a big Carrie Elways fan from The Princess Bride. And then I watched Saw, because he was in it, and it was not whimsical, it was not romantic, I did not walk away with the same feeling. Yeah, that film is probably not marketer friendly. It's just brutally graphic and very dark. but. You have to remember, like almost any horror movie, it was a result of the times. It came out in, I think it was like 2004. And if you turn back the clock and the zeitgeisty conversation then was about torture. It was about Guantanamo Bay. Americans were having this debate about limits that how much we should push to keep America safe from terrorists. And Saw, Saw held up a very twisted mirror to that conversation. So what does a creepy clown say about us today? Oh, it's funny, Matt had a thought on that. You know... It, you're always changing, but we're changing with the times, you know. Um, Trump's our president. <laughs> kidding aside, <laughs> kidding aside, he thinks the mirror that we're using right now is maybe more marketing friendly than ever. It seems like right now we're in this kind of retro Stranger Things it uh, vibe. And I think that's because young uh, people are really gravitating towards the genre right now. And the marketing of it in particular the way they approached it was just kind of genius. I think for, first from a marketing campaign, the clown, the, the red balloon, like that, that whole campaign was spectacular. But it felt organic and honest. And I think, I think that with the Stranger Things working so heavily, I think there's, kids felt like that movie was for them, except on steroids. And this was the big scary version of that. Um, so I think that we're in a moment where the kids are wanting that kind of content and they're, and they're kind of rejecting um, Saw, if you will, in that kind of horror. You gotta do this? 
Let's engage. Yes, Stranger Things is everywhere. I am in so deep with Stranger Things. It's a fantastic show. It is the kind of scary content that I love, and apparently I'm not alone. Yeah, and it has this young adult flavor to it, which I dig. And Matt thinks that's key. No matter what the horror is within that show, um, it's about the most fundamental, sweet relationships. And I think without that, that show would not be as successful as it has become. So this was the interesting part for me. This notion of relationships. I don't go there immediately when I think of horror. But if I step back and I look at it, it kind of makes a lot of sense. The horror in most horror movies is usually interrupting a relationship. I mean, Scream did a whole riff on this of like, you can't be in a relationship without becoming a victim, which is why relationships are the building blocks that Matt looks for when he makes horror movies for his own audiences. In the horror genre, you know, we're doing a really fun horror comedy called Spontaneous by an amazing uh, young writer named Brian Duffield. And it's about a small town where all of a sudden kids spontaneously combust. And now you're left with all of these kids as they are kind of faced with what do we do if we're next? And you watch the kids in, in a kind of breakfast club kind of way start to just have fun and fall in love and experience firsts. And that's something that marketers may have looked at in the past as well. Is it too edgy? They're speaking with foul language. It's charming. Oh, it sounds very Instagram worthy. Like you could have a lot of fun with filters and people spontaneously combusting. 100%. And when you focus on the relationship angle, uh, not the horror of people, you know, instantly dying, that there are plenty of big marketing opportunities. Kids as a group want to go experience these things together. And I think with Instagram and other digital platforms now, you're watching them go to Halloween Horror Nights and that's become a huge factor because I think going to, with your friends, experiencing that, taking photos around that, going to experiences like experiential houses like the It House is something that you can take with you and enjoy. And I think that approach uh, in marketing around the film is also really fun. And I think it's bringing kids, making kids lean in to the film and all the things that the film has to provide. So the It House is a very interesting example it was a live experience in a couple of cities tied to the movie It. And basically think of it as a super well-produced, very scary haunted house. The thing about it that's cool is kids went to this thing in groups. And as soon as they got through it, they were taking pictures with their phones, putting them out on Instagram and Snapchat. That movie enjoyed some incredible viral marketing. And this is tied to the advice that Matt has for marketers. I think you have to look at social media and experiential uh, marketing around the movie as part of the plan. You know, speaking specifically about horror, I think what you can be doing on Snapchat filters now and what they have on just, just the ability to host experiential events, let kids have fun there, take a picture, have a leave behind, brands could totally be a part of that. And I think if they do it right, because their emotions are so heightened while they're in those horror nights, if you will, like I think that's, it leaves you feeling like that was a more memorable experience that, that uh, you'll connect with. Hey, that is my filter idea. That's it. You say you're not a marketer. When we come back from a short break, Larry talks with a researcher who is also a horror fan. Yes. And if you or our listeners were wondering how you can enlist fear as a marketing tool, even when you don't have the opportunity to tie in with a blockbuster film like it, she's got a very interesting study to share. Stick around for more of the findings report. Thank <laughs> you. 
it's Molly here. I've volunteered with the Art of Elysium for years now. I get to do improv for kids in the hospital and make them laugh. The Art of Elysium brings arts programs to children's hospitals, homeless shelters, special education schools, because they truly believe art heals. And you can get involved. $25 covers the cost of an art kit. You can donate at theartofelysium.org or volunteer your time. Give the gift of art. Hey guys, this is Larry, and I want to say a few words about a cause I care a lot about, Alex's Lemonade Stand Foundation. ALSF is on a mission to end cancer for all children. It has raised over $170 million to fund more than 700 research projects that seek more effective and less toxic treatments for kids fighting cancer. But more can be done, and you can help. Become a member of our One Cup at a Time program and make a monthly contribution in any amount. You can find more info by going to alexslimonade.org. Thanks. Friday, 1.24 p.m. Hi, Larry. This is Lorna. I'm calling to share my scary story. And the truth is that I hate to be scared. And I thought that at 50, I would be okay going through one of those haunted houses. And I went through one recently um, with my daughter and with my husband, Mark. And I ended up ditching my family because I was the first in line and I didn't want to be scared. So I joined a couple, a woman and a man, in front of me. And I became the three of their last two of their party so that I wouldn't be so scared. I ended up pushing the poor boyfriend. Hi, Larry. This is Andrew. I'm calling to really talk about why I love horror movies. Um, first and foremost, I've loved them since I was a kid. and not sure why my older brother took me to see the Texas Chainsaw Massacre remake in 2003. And as a kid, I was absolutely terrified, but I knew that I loved it and it was a lot of fun. Hi, Larry. This is Laura Crigo. Um, ghost stories, scary movies has always been my thing. I also was the kid that would watch The Exorcist or even Jaws, you know, when I was eight. Most eight-year-olds would be scared by a movie about a killer shark when you're going to the beach. And we did that for family vacation. Hi, my name is Mary and I come from Fullerton. The reason that I love horror movies is it allows me to experience more of life and a change of state. But I have to tell you, I'm a complete sucker for when the music starts getting tense and the lighting changes, the camera angles, all of it um, built to make you more and more tense. I learned not to drink red wine while watching a scary movie because even when I know it's coming, when I can see the changes, I can hear the music, I have jolted and literally um, thrown my hand up in the air and doused myself in red wine. The machine is off. Some of our listeners there sharing what they love about being scared. Further proof that fear is a big business. So let me tell you why I was excited about this show. Yes, you are excited about this show. Are you a closeted horror fan? Well, I do love horror movies, but that's not why I pitched this show. In the first half, we heard from horror fans. And you know, there are a lot of them. And I think the ideas Matt suggested are proof of why horror is not always a third rail for marketers. Not at all. I mean, the part about live experiences with groups, that sounds legit. It is. But in this half, we're going to hear from someone who took this notion one step further. I'm Leah Dunn. I'm an assistant professor of marketing at the University of Washington. And it's kind of a great story because she's an academic researcher who 
To be honest, I, I love horror movies. Yes. <laughs> you don't often think of college professors watching horror movies. Oh, I like that. But they do. So I reached out to Leah because she was part of a team that did some research about brands and horror movies. And the research was really near and dear to the part of the branding that I love, the part about attachment, where people forge these kinds of human connections to brands. And Leah and her colleagues, they had this interesting idea, and it started from the part that we just learned about talking to Matt. The part about wanting to be with others. Yeah, it's funny, because I knew Leah was a horror fan, and I asked her whether she watches movies in a group or alone, and she's just like everyone else, she prefers to watch them in a group setting. Most times, because I'm a, a big wuss, but I do find, <laughs> I find it that it is my sitting home alone movie. I will watch horror movies on the background, usually really bad ones, um, so it's a little less scary. But I do know there's this desire to be with people when you do scary things, right? Like haunted houses, going alone is terrible. You always want to have somebody there to hold. Yes, actually, I did used to go to haunted houses when I was young, and it was totally to be with people, specifically the boys that I had crushes on, so I could, you know, be close to them and hold their hands and say, oh, I'm so frightened. And that turns out to be the case, that one of the coping mechanisms for fearful events is actually an increase in group cohesion. So we want to be with people when we're afraid. And so that led me to try and start to think about, so brands have personalities and that there are a bunch of positive outcomes for these personalities. Consumers attach to them more, they understand the brand a little bit better when there's a personality attached. It's like, well, if fear leads us to want to be with others and others aren't present but brands have these human-like characteristics can we actually attach to brands the same way that we attach to people when we need to cope with this feeling of fear she wanted to know if you could substitute a brand for a person when you watch a scary movie basically the brand is there with you it is sharing that experience it's a companion it's taking some of that uncertainty away and by doing that, I guess it wins your business, right? Yes. Leah shared an example that influenced her research. One of the things that actually spurred part of this research was Doritos Hotel 626. It's a horror-based advert game. The logo is the only thing that appears for Doritos, and it appears in the bottom corner. And it's hugely engaging. Uh, you can't play it. You can only play it between 6 p.m. and 6 a.m. It's very engaging and very interactive. It's pretty scary. And the, the logo is just there. It doesn't say Doritos. It doesn't say anything. It's just the Doritos heartbeat logo at the bottom. And they claim that due to this advert game push that they sold out of their their flavors in record time. You become attached to it which we know, well, in the research community we know, is a very strong predictor of sales. But it doesn't come easily. You know, a question I asked when I read the study was how much of the attachment she was measuring in her studies was because of the experience and how much was due to some other influence, perhaps previous exposure to the brand. My studies would actually say that just having the logo there and having that attention to the logo could have been enough to form higher attachment. So Leah and her colleagues they ran some experiments. Brand attachment tends to be something that is built up over time. Um, you have to have interactions with the brand in order to have this increased attachment to it. Um, and we wanted to see, could there be situations in which attachment could be facilitated due to the experience? And so it was very simple. We had them, um, participants, come into the lab and they were randomly assigned to watch movie clips 
Uh, so either horror movies or action movies, comedies or dramas to elicit fear, excitement, uh, sadness and happiness. And then we said there are multiple studies that are happening today. Uh, the first is this movie experience study. The second will be a brand evaluation. And so we had the brand in the room with them while they watched the movies. And so after they watched the movies, uh, they rated what their emotional state was. And then they also started evaluating the brand. So attitudes, but also the emotional brand attachment scale, which were things like affectionate, connection, bonded, passionate toward the brand. And so in that main study, what we found was that fear compared to these other three emotions led to significantly higher emotional brand attachment compared to sadness or happiness or excitement. Wait, 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 wait. Hold on. Really? Right? Compared to happiness or excitement. Or sadness. Fear generated bigger emotional attachment. Da, 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 da. That's crazy. Also, I'm very much reminded of Clockwork Orange when he had his eyes pulled back and he had to watch all of those horrifying clips. And I feel like it sounds like if he had like a Pepsi Cola by his side, he really would have become attached to Pepsi Cola and that would have gotten him through. Well, or if the Pepsi Cola was next to our sides as we were watching that incredibly creepy clip. Yes. So we would go we out and buy it together. Pepsi. We're like, oh my God, someone's going to come <laughs> in the middle of the night and put those things on. Yeah. Yes. But seriously though, this is one of those moments where even the researchers think it's kind of crazy. And so we're like, well, that's great. <laughs> it shows our main hypothesis, but what's actually happening here? And so one of the measures that we created was this perceived shared experience. How do you measure shared experience? They ask questions like... I felt like the brand was with me. The brand went through the same experience that I did. And what we found was that um, fear led to higher perceptions of shared experience. And that was actually what was leading to this higher emotional attachment later on. Okay, seems easy enough. So we just need to make scary advertisements. No. Uh, what? No, come on. This is exactly why I love this <laughs> research, right? Past research has actually shown that advertisements that scare you are really ineffective. Oh, man. Consumers resent it. I mean, think about it. You've probably seen some public service announcement that tries to scare you off of drinking and driving or smoking or texting. Yes, and some of them made me think, but a lot of them made me just feel kind of guilt-tripped. There you go. I actually worked on a project where a digital security brand that I was advising, they were making these ads that warned people that if they didn't protect themselves, they could go to prison. <laughs> wow. Customers hated it. <laughs> yes, I too would not like to be told by the television, you're going to go to prison if you don't buy this product. You would like that, exactly. right? Exactly. But the method was meant to induce fear. That's not the kind of fear Leah and her colleagues are studying. A lot of what happens when you use fear in a marketing context is that the advertisement itself is creating that feeling of fear. And so that's integral fear. It's created by the advertisement or the brand. Uh, and what I study is actually this feeling of incidental fear. So it's unrelated to the object of evaluation. So when I'm watching a horror movie, I'm scared, but I'm not scared because the brand made me scared. I just happen to be scared and the brand is there. Sensing a theme. Okay, so we are back to wanting to be together when something scary happens. On the same side, not preaching, experiencing together. Did you ask her at all about the zeitgeisty dimension Matt raised? I'm curious how that affects the boundaries of where a brand might want to be. Like I said earlier, like Bounty has no place in a Saw movie. No. I don't want to buy it. No, it does not. And I did ask her about that. She is also not a fan of torture porn, as it's known. But she also understood how it came to be and how horror relates to consumer emotion. And, uh, well, just listen. So I'm 
here's my horror movie geek coming out. Um, I love looking at horror movies as a cultural expression um, and what is happening in the social environment or in the world that's leading to us needing this cathartic experience in the movie theater. And Eli Roth, who created The Hostel, he said, there's too much horror in the actual world that consumers need to be completely outrageously disgusted in order to have that relief. Wow. That's that's disturbing. Sad, right? We all find mm-hmm. it really sad. It is really sad. Well, it's it's kind of funny because the the never ending fear of like the Babadook was a, I think, an allegory for depression, and that it doesn't leave you. You just have to find a way to deal with it. And the same with it follows. It never leaves you. You just have to find a way to deal with it. And so that's almost a reflection of what's happening right now. But other than that, Mrs. Lincoln, how did you enjoy the show? <laughs> Yeah, I mean, it's it's really interesting. Who would have thought that you could build a marketing strategy about being scared together? I love it. And and I had a blast chatting with Leah. She's really fun. You know, when we think about the academic community, we don't typically think of people who enjoy going to horror movies. That's the kind <laughs> of stuff that she does because she's we researchers are normal people, too. And she studies topics anyone would enjoy studying. Oh, researchers are people, too. In the next edition of The Findings Report... It's been called femvertising, a trend many marketers and brands are embracing in order to win the hearts and wallets of American women. Guests Heather Lefevre, Linda Ong, and Shelley Zollis join us to navigate the risks and rewards of linking your brand to a new wave in feminism. All in the next episode of The Findings Report. That's our show for today. Special thanks go to our guests, Matt Kaplan and Leah Dunn. You can learn more about them and find links to their work on our website at findingsreport.com. And we also want to thank listeners who called in to share their feelings about horrifying experiences. If you'd like to share your opinion on a future show, please keep an eye out on our website and our social feeds for questions and surveys. We'd love to have your voice on the show. You can find the show on Twitter at Findings Report, and you can follow me at Moshribe. And me at L. Vincent. And a reminder to subscribe to the show's podcast feed on iTunes, Stitcher, or wherever you go for your favorite podcasts. You might also like to subscribe to our weekly newsletter, which delivers fresh insights to your inbox. You can subscribe at findingsreport.com, and it's completely free. For The Findings Report, I'm Larry Vincent. And I'm Molly Schreiber. And we'll be back soon enough. Stick around, subscribe. We will find you somewhere on the internet. Perfect.